Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. I am so honored to be here with one of my heroes. I stayed up late last night reading her book, The Future of Food is Female. This woman is a dynamo. She just pulled off this extraordinary conference, the Vegan Women's Summit in downtown LA. It was truly extraordinary. Uh, Take it away, Jennifer Stojkovic. What the parameters of that conference were so extraordinary. How did you do it? What did you do for those who weren't there? Well, hi, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. I am having a very nice decompressing Monday morning. It was quite an endeavor. Uh, The Vegan Women's Summit took place in Los Angeles on uh, uh, this past Friday, April 8th. We had over 800 people come from all across the world for it. Um, And in addition to that, we had hundreds that joined virtually. It is the only space in the entire world, the only conference that's focused on elevating women in the future of food, um, fashion, beauty, animal-free technology. Um, our goal is really to show the nearly 4 billion women on the planet that they can be a part of building a kinder, more sustainable world. We want to inspire, educate, and empower them to bring compassion to their careers in any way possible, whether it's through creating a company, um, joining a food tech company, whether it's um, becoming an advocate in their own industry. That's why we bring together actresses and celebrities with venture capitalists, with founders, you know, with executives. The goal is really elevating this space in a way that it is open and accessible to women all over the world, particularly women of color. 60% of our community are women of color. Um, more than two-thirds of all of our speakers, actually, I think about 75% were women of color at the Vegan Women's Summit that took place on Friday. Well, and reading your book, you say that women make up 85% of the purchasing decisions for household products. So truly, if we were to hit the tipping point, it would basically be getting women who go into the grocery stores and who make those choices to start making compassionate choices. Why do you feel that so often feminists are completely disconnected from the issue of um, patriarchy in the food system. The fact that it's the ultimate exploitation of the female reproductive system that allows for factory farming. So I think there's a lot to unpack when it comes to this space, right? So there's the entire concept of women as leaders in food. Uh, That's an issue in itself, because even removing yourself from the plant-based space in particular, women are not represented in the food industry whatsoever. Um, You know, and this is... This is a huge issue because women have historically been so intertwined with food for hundreds, thousands of years. You know, um, in my book, you know, I talk about how the very first um, vegetarian restaurant in North America in the 1800s, before women were even allowed to have businesses, was run by a woman, a suffragette. In fact, right. You know, talk about like true feminism, like she was on the front lines trying to get women the right to vote. So even like food itself um, has this deep tie uh, aside from 
plant-based. I think in terms of women not understanding that connection between the dairy industry and, and feminism as veganism, we talked about this with um, Dr. Sylvia Spurwick on Friday, who's a member of the European Parliament that advocates for this conversation. I, I think that's a lot of misinformation and a lack of education, to be honest. All right. Um, I think we may have a caller, Joe from Florida. Uh, your question or thought, Joe. Hey, uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Really great uh, show and really love the enthusiasm by the Vegan Women Summit. Uh, too bad I missed out uh, on that uh, conference uh, and I was looking at the agenda. Uh, yeah, Dr. Sylvia Storiak is really amazing. Um, my question is the IPCC report which just came out with the uh, revision six, work group three, a couple of days back, does mention about plant-based lifestyle. And I was wondering if at the conference or if somebody is talking more about the IPCC, which is imploring people to go plant-based to not only dramatically lower down the greenhouse gas emissions, but also for uh, antibiotics, pesticides, land use, and zoonotic pandemics. Uh, how can we get this message out? And I know, uh, as you were mentioning, that women and children will be the most impacted by this uh, 1.5 to anywhere 4 degrees centigrade temperature rise and up to 10 feet level sea level rise. So how can we implore the women and children and people, decision makers, to look and study the IPCC and go plant-based for the future of this humanity? Thank you. Wow, that I get you get award for most informative question ever. <laughs> comprehensive, very comprehensive, Joe in Florida. You know, when you get a name like Joe in Florida, you're like, what are you gonna get? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so Joe, here's uh, this is a topic that I actually just wrote a. I, I write for Rolling Stone as well. I'm the future of food writer, and I just did this for um, Women's History Month a few weeks ago. A piece uh, specifically elevating women's leadership in places that are most impacted by climate change. So um, I had South America, South Asia, as well as Africa, and we dove into what are the solutions that are actually happening on the ground in these different ecosystems. Um, and it's incredible how much innovation women are actually doing in these places where they are most affected. And we don't talk about it at all. We don't give it the resources or the media amplification. You know, Jane, I, I bet you I could tell you five or six companies and startups that are over there doing things, and you probably haven't even heard of them. And you're one of the most informed people in the space. And so one of the things that is really important to me and part of what I talk about in the book is that we need to be employing talents and skills of people on the ground in those regions and ecosystems. They know their economies the best. And so that's why we thread together. And we actually do a pitch competition with VWS where we bring all of those women founders in all of those different regions to the forefront um, and get them in front, of, in front of investors. I think one of the problems that we have is that in Silicon Valley and in the United States, we talk about creating solutions to scale for the entire world as if like a few people, you know, over here in California can solve the food system for all of these people around the world rather than let's talk to their leaders on the ground and their founders and their entrepreneurs and all the innovation that they're doing um, and see how we can collaborate all together. So let's talk a little bit about an issue that Doxy Bausch, the vegan Olympian who was at your Vegan Women Summit and who is one of my heroes as well, has focused on, and that is lactose intolerance amongst the global majority. The majority yes. of people on this planet are lactose intolerant, and yet uh, Starbucks, for example, is still charging a surcharge here in the United States uh, for uh, plant-based milks. 
What can we do to put pressure on corporations to see that that is um, certainly, in my opinion, and I think uh, you could make a very good argument in a court of law, it's uh, racism. It's discrimination. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the one of the issues that I talk about actually a lot in the book is infant and toddler nutrition. Right. Ninety percent of black babies that are born in America are lactose intolerant, yet almost all black babies are put on dairy infant formula from six months and onward. Um, less than a quarter of black babies in America even get the prescribed six months of breastfeeding. Um, not even half of all American babies altogether even get that. It's very, very shocking how we are starting off um, babies that are a part of the global majority off on the wrong foot. Um, I think that one of the things that is really important for us, especially with VWS, is to advocate for the infant toddler nutrition space, uh, the pregnancy space as well. There needs to be much better education. And there's also not really any products, too. Um, if you kind of go take a look at a CVS or a Walgreens, you'll see that it's pretty much only dairy formula that you'll see on the shelves. Um, even when you look at Insure and Boost and things like that for aging nutrition as well, there's only uh, lactose products right now. So what can we be doing? Um, we can be educating. We can be talking to investors about why are we not creating products? Um, I think there's some really good advocacy and some cool kind of like grassroots campaigns that are happening with like the Starbucks, like upcharge, sure. But that doesn't get to the broader picture of the fact that our youngest, you know, inhabitants of this planet are started off on dairy um, from their very first days. And that is where we really get to the root cause of the issue. So there was a chapter about breast milk that blew my mind. I don't want to mischaracterize Good. it. So <laughs> tell me all about it, because I thought I'd heard everything, but I hadn't heard about this. Jane, that makes me so happy to hear because the point of the book was threading together innovation where perhaps if you come from the plant-based space, you've never heard of this, you know, innovation happening in science, or if you're a scientist, you've never heard about, you know, what's going on with advocacy and plant-based. So um, I talk about Biomilk, which is a startup that I'm extremely passionate about. Um, the CEO, Michelle Egger, it's a completely woman-led team, CEO, co-founders. Uh, she has created something so um important for the planet and for this country. So Biomilk is a breast milk alternative um, that is currently being created. It's they've been funded by, you know, Bill Gates and really, really big high name investors. And they're creating the very first basically cell based breast milk. So um, folks have probably heard of lab grown meat, quote unquote, you know, cultivated meat, um, how we can recreate animal products without the animal. Well, what are we? We are animals, humans are as well. So that means that that same technology um, theoretically can also create breast milk. Uh, and the reason why it's so important for us to have cell-based breast milk is, as I shared, most babies in this country, particularly um, babies that are of the global majority, are not getting breastfed. And we're not gonna be able to change that anytime soon because we are the only developed nation in the entire world, the US, that does not have paid maternity leave um, or parental leave. So women just, they have to go back to 
to work. So these babies are not getting breast milk and they are often, you know, failing to meet the benchmarks that they um, need to meet. And so with BioMilk, she is creating a product that will be an alternative to breast milk. So you don't have to have dairy infant formula anymore, which is crap. Dairy infant formula is absolute garbage. It's a horrible product. It hasn't been disrupted in like 60, 70 years. Um, it's also about 10% of the global liquid dairy market. So it has a tremendous impact on animals and the planet, and we don't talk about it at all. Hmm. Uh, this is so fascinating. We've got some more callers lined up. Naja from Baltimore <laughs> on the line. Your question or thought, Naja? Naja? You there, Naja? All right, we're going to go to the I next. I can barely hear you. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay, great. I could ask a million zillion questions, and I, I, I just listened in, and I heard about the dairy. Uh, I am with the Black Vet Society. I'm an executive director. I also have um, a vegan restaurant out here in Baltimore, the Land of Kush, going on 11 years, award-winning. Um, we, we organize a lot of events out here uh, centered around veganism, business to business, individual to business. Your summit is amazing. I haven't been able to make it out yet. Um, but I want to know during this time, you know, as an event organizer, what are you doing to really, um, get your resources together? Uh, how are you doing it and how can we all do it together? Thank you, Naja. Okay. So by resources, sorry, Naja, do you mean how, how are we literally producing? Right. Financial oh. resources, human resources, strategic partnerships. I am a woman of color, and I can tell you a lot of times in my space and a, a lot of other women of color uh, say it's it's challenging and difficult to partner, form strategic partnerships such as how me and Jane, you know, form partnerships with the platforms and the contributing. But how do we, as women of color, opposed to just getting handouts, come to the table and form strategic partnerships with women like yourself? Wow. Okay, so I think there's there's a few different things that we could talk about here um, in terms of how we've been able to really amass a lot of the partnerships that we have with VWS. I mean, we have a lot of partnerships in the food system, like a lot, you know, folks like Impossible Foods and some of the biggest plant-based companies support us, um, which is great. And one of the reasons is because we have a lot of data on our community. So this is like anyone that's listening today that wants to learn how to grow a community and how to get the kinds of financial partnerships that it takes to scale and go to the next level get data learn and learn and learn about your community do surveys with your community because the deeper you understand them the deeper you're going to understand who will be interested in talking to them so that's something that i've spent a lot of time um, is strategically kind of working with all these different partners around the world and, and in the US um, to figure out who they want to reach and then how I can collect that data and get them that community. So I imagine that you have, you know, probably a wide ranging group of co-ed black plant-based interested folks in your community. Would that be generally the demographic? Yes, yeah. black and working on Latino because I'm Puerto Rican also. Uh, and yes, so yes. Do you do you have data on that? Do you do you collect information and then when you pitch yourself for like sponsorships, do you show them here is exactly who you will reach, here's their age, here are their average professions, like here's their location? 
Yes, we actually do. We have, we've been running a vegan okay. soul fest uh, out here, one of the largest vegan festivals right dead smack in the city of Baltimore. Uh, and we send that data out all the time, the percentage of African-Americans versus, uh, you know, whatever population also attends the festival. And we even um, include data on restaurants that are involved in our vegan restaurant week, uh, which is really a month now. So it went from a week to an entire month. But we always struggle with getting funding for some reason. Well, congratulations. That's amazing, first and foremost. Um, I, You know, I would say the short of it is figure out who wants to reach black consumers that are interested in plant-based, right? So I can, like off the top of my head, BioLife is very interested in this space. Have you approached them? Um, they have an entire grant program for organizations that are focused on the black plant-based community. No, I haven't. And I'm just learning this from you. And I think that's part of the issue. A lot of the information that I need to be exposed to, for some reason, it's not coming to me. So this is great. And that's why they have the Vegan Women's Summit. I made so many connections there. I was talking to so many people. It was overwhelming. I was sore the next day. I was like, what just happened? That was just, it's very intense because you're talking and everybody's a doer. Everybody's got a product or a platform or something. It's it's truly amazing. Um, guess what? We got more callers. We got Donnie from New York. Your question or thought, Donnie. Uh, hi, hi there. I'm an animal rights campaigner in New York City. And like many vegans, I encourage my friends and family and members of the public to make the switch to plant-based foods for health, for the planet, for the animals, climate change, etc. But I really don't know what works after all of these years of doing it. So, Jennifer, I was wondering if in speaking to leaders in the vegan community and in your experiences, do, you, or do certain approaches work better with men than women um, and vice versa. Are there any generalizations that we could make to help improve our outreach? So the short answer is yes. Uh, I, you know, we could get kind of deep dive into the demographics and what works for who, but I can tell you, we collect data on everybody that's ever been through VWS. So we've been around for two years. We're a global platform. We do both events, programming, all kinds of media. And we've collected data points on several thousand. Um, we've had over 10,000 attendees and we ask them like, you know, what's your race? What's your age? Um, what is your diet um, interest? Where are you at on the journey? All that fun stuff. And we have have pulled a few threads and, and trends together out of our own reporting. Um, so first and foremost, younger folks, so anybody that's like Gen Z or Alpha, they always first and foremost put climate and sustainability as the core reason that they are interested in the space. Um, when it comes to anybody Gen X and above, both male and female, it is personal health, personal health, personal health. It is shocking to me how many people, because I don't come from this lens, are very interested in the health aspect. Um, typically, I think that's because Xers are, you know, into their 40s and 50s and, and you know, boomers um, as well and beyond. And now they're starting to hear about health issues and they're starting to get like diagnosed with, you know, various things where a plant based diet can help to, you know, alleviate or overcome the symptoms. So when I'm speaking to women of that demographic and men as well, I will speak with the health angle, um, the ethics angle. 
I'm going to be honest, that one seems to be sprinkled all throughout. Um, I am an ethical vegan. That's where I come from. Um, but we don't we haven't seen any potential through lines of who is most impacted by um, the ethical um, or, you know, compelling reasons. Uh, and then in terms of men, um, athletic performance and fitness and health seems to be huge. Uh, I'm very good friends with Louie and the whole team that put together the Game Changers. And the Game Changers did a lot of comprehensive research ahead of time before they put the film together. And they found that men responded very much to physical fitness and health. Um, and that was why they framed the entire film specifically for men. I hope that any of that is helpful. Wow. Wow. That was so helpful to me because, of course, the meat and dairy industry associates masculinity with meat and femininity with dairy, which they have nothing to do with each other. In fact, as we know, uh, overconsumption of meat is one of the leading causes of erectile dysfunction. So, so much for that being meat and masculinity. We've got another caller and then I've got so many questions. Susan from Florida, your question or thought for Jennifer Stojkovic, the author of The Future of Food is Female. Get this book now. I was up till two in the morning reading. I couldn't put it down. Go ahead. Thanks so much, Jane, for having Jennifer on as a guest. Jennifer, thank you so much for the Vegan Women's Summit. I definitely will be there next year. I can't miss it because it was so obviously so successful. And uh, my question is, and uh, forgive me if you've already discussed this because I just was able to tune in. How do you handle the uh, sometimes disregard that others have for your message and when they look at you and think, oh, the little lady has something to say. I mean, can you advise people, because it's obvious how successful you are. I saw you on the news. Congratulations. Can you advise other women in the movement um, how they might combat the underestimation or the, the, the challenges that we have in communicating um, so if you wouldn't mind touching on that subject, that would be great. Well, thank you. And I do hope you can come to Vegan Women Summit next year. I will quickly plug, we're going on our book tour. So if you look up um, The Future of Food is Female, we'll be in Florida um, for Earth Day. We are doing a Miami event. So I don't know where everyone is calling from Florida, but um, hopefully you can come see me in Miami in a few weeks. Uh, okay. So with that being said, how to combat um, people treating women differently than males. Uh, this is an issue that per is pervasive in both the plant-based industry um, as well as like every industry and business. I built my career in the tech industry and that's kind of where I got all of the inspiration um, to join this space. And I was the only woman in the room pretty much 90% of the time, if not more. Um, and I got very used to being the female voice in the room and people kind of looking and saying like, well, let's see what Jenny has to say. She's our like representative of 50%, 51% of the world here. Um, and I think that a few things that can help, um, first and foremost, make sure you're bringing other women into the room. Uh, this is a conversation we have constantly, and Jane, you'll know we had this on Friday, talking about the abundance mindset versus scarcity. And I know, you know you're probably wondering how does this relate to the question I'm asking? 
we need to make sure that we are not the only woman's voice. We need to make sure that we're not the only representation of an entire gender um, because, you know, there's moms, there's millennial women, there's boomer women, there's black women, there's Hispanic women. Like there's so many different um, nuances and, and perspectives that are brought. And it's not fair when there's only one of us that has to kind of hold that entire um, category up, you know, in the room. So I always, always try to bring more women into the space. When I am asked to curate a panel of like plant-based CEOs, people constantly are like, can you get Ethan and Pat and Josh? And I'm like, here's my panel of plant-based CEOs. And I always default to all women um, every single time. So um, one of the things that I would recommend is just finding more women to bring into the space, finding more women to speak to. Um, it will help you overcome your imposter syndrome because you'll start to see more representation in the space um, so that you know that you belong there in the room. Uh, when you are the only one that looks like what you look like in a space, it's easy to think that you're an imposter in the space. So um, really just like focus on everything with an abundance mindset versus a scarcity and um, pull up more chairs. You know, if there's no seat at the table, um, pull up a fold up chair as my, my good friend Armita Pilstrom at Future Farm would say. Wow, I love that. And it's very interesting to say the imposter syndrome where you feel like, do I belong here? Uh, and, you know, we are all, the, the essence of the animal rights movement is that every individual, including every animal, is entitled to his or her own life and that each of us is individuals. Uh, we've demonized animals so much that if you make comparisons to animals and humans, often people are offended. And I just think that is an indication of how far we have to go in terms of evolving so that, you know, when one is oppressed, all are oppressed as the famous saying goes. We got one more question before a half hour break, and then I think we should cut off callers because I've got some few questions of my own. Lindsay from Tarzana, your question or thought for Jennifer Skoskovich, the author of The Future of Food is Female. Thank you. I'm so glad I got in before the cutoff. I am so thrilled about this. I didn't go to the conference, but I will be there next year. And I just purchased your book. I feel like for the, uh, it's been, I've been vegan for seven years. Um, I work with Jane. I do a show um, on Unchained TV and the imposter syndrome. I relate to that. I'm excited about the bio milk. I mean, this whole thing, it just, my mind is exploding. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's my comment. And uh, yeah, I'll let you guys continue. Bye. Thank you, Lindsay. And Lindsay is uh, one of many who just devotes her time completely free. Uh, in fact, she is the host of our upcoming launch party. Uh, she's donated her beautiful home so that we can have a wonderful party um, to celebrate the launch of our streaming network, which just launched in January. And I'm happy to say we're already up to 350,000 views a month. And uh, we're also uh, debuting a new reality series on a family of pigs rescued from a kill shelter. So we've got a a lot going on and it's folks like Lindsay that make it happen but I think she's absolutely right um, we are so overwhelmed by everything happening in the animal rights the vegan movement it's truly extraordinary and then you go outside the vegan bubble as I did recently just going to a birthday party for a friend who's not vegan and 
exited the vegan bubble and I was the only person eating vegan. This is here in Los Angeles. And yeah. the hotel had very horrible vegan options. I was the last person that was served. The vegan option tasted of meat because it was, I mean, it was like, is this 1950? It, it shocked me and made me realize we have so much work to do. So it's wonderful that you are at the forefront of all this change, but there were moments when even with the ecstasy of seeing all these vegan companies, then I go out of the vegan bubble and I go back into regular society and I get smacks upside the head of, oh my gosh, we still have a tremendous amount of work to do. So we're going to take a, a short break here on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. So let's go to that commercial and then we'll be back and talk about that. What is the future of food? Yes, yeah, so uh, we're still live on Voice America Radio, and I have so many questions to ask you. Uh Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Who is the author of... The future of food is female. This is a fantastic book uh, on Amazon. Please get it because it's a great read. It's packed with information, but it's really easy to read. And it's told in the stories of all these incredible movers and shakers like Miyoko Shinner, who's another one of my heroes. I'm an official Miyoko groupie. I practically squeal every time I see her and I go, Miyoko, because she is doing so much. The idea that one person can do as much uh, as she has done is is mind-blowing but jennifer you brought all these power players together and we were just talking about why doesn't the rest of the world get this you know the best and the brightest was a sarcastic title 
the best and the brightest brought us the Vietnam War. These were the people who went to the best schools, who were considered the smartest people in every room, and yet they brought us this terrible quagmire, this horrible tragedy. Similarly, we have the best and the brightest not seeing what what 13 year old kids who are vegan can see that 8 billion humans eating 80 billion animals who consume a huge amount of the food and water and who are contributing to climate change, human health problems and obvious animal cruelty. They can't make that connection. What's going on there? There are a lot of things that are going on. I think, you know, one of the one of the things that you mentioned, you're talking about why can a 13 year old see something that a 50 year old can't. Right. And one of the big changes that's happened over these last 10 years or so is climate change is much more apparent and much um, more in your face than it was. So uh, I, I mentioned this in my book. If you go take a look at when millennials were in high school, less than 40% of the media affirmed climate change as real. By the time Gen Zers were in high school, more than 90% of the media affirmed climate change is real. Just one single generation went from, mm, you know, the jury's still out on global warming, which was a president um, only a few terms ago that said something like that, to, oh my gosh, climate change is not only real, but we need to start working on it now. We've got 10 years left, which I think is now eight years since that last report. Um, so that's a huge difference, right? Younger people get it. They understand eating for climate. They understand that meat and and dairy, um, well, perhaps not dairy and eggs. Unfortunately, still meat gets that connotation, even though people don't seem to be understanding those same animals are then included in the other types of production. But they do see that meat is related to um, the circumstances that they are facing as they inherit this planet. But why does the broader um, industry not see it as, as important? Well, I think that we have a branding problem. This is something that I work on a lot. I think that we, you know, veganism has historically been closed off. Um, I, we talked about this at the summit on Friday. We talked about white veganism, quote unquote, that like whole foods, hippie veganism. Um, we're trying to break down those barriers to show that, you know, eating plant-based, eating predominantly plant-based, whichever one that you choose, like I would love for you to go completely vegan, but if you're just gonna become mostly plant-based, I'm into that too. How do we break down those barriers and show all communities Communities that they're a part of it. And that's something that we have not done a great job of in, in, you know, over the years. We really haven't. It has continued to be kind of a small, insulated conversation and group of people that are interested. And so the more we can look at, um, you know, ways to invite people in, the more we can make the space accessible. I think that's how we will get more and more support. The young people, to me, are kind of a shoe in It's more how do we deal with, you know, the folks that are 40 and above um, with that neuroplasticity, their brain's a little bit more rigid. Um, they've got kind of got a little bit more set in their ways with what they eat and the information that they think they know and the education that they think they received that was correct. Let's talk a little bit about you. You're a fascinating person. You really took to the stage like you've been a Vegas performer. I mean, you have this tech knowledge, but you also have the performance. You're also an author. Tell us about yourself. Like, how did you get here? A lot of hard work, <laughs> you know, uh, it has not been a 
straight journey for myself. Uh, I am from a small town in Canada. Um, so I've been in the US for the last 10 years or so. I spent the first half of my career in Silicon Valley in the tech industry. Um, still have some really strong ties there. And um, in these last few years, I've really focused on how I can become a leader in the food space as well. Um, I have personally been vegan for seven years. Uh, and that has, you know, really changed a lot over these last few years. Um, I, you know, used to spend all of my spare time uh, pushing this space. And now I spend, you know, my entire day doing it. Um, you had mentioned in your book that there was a tragic experience that you went through. My condolences. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because you said that was what really shifted your worldview and um, opened your eyes to the importance of compassionate animals. So this is a story that I, you know, share quite often with folks because it's very atypical uh, when it comes to why on earth did you suddenly start caring about veganism? Uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, my husband and I were newlyweds. Uh, our best man was murdered in a tragic uh, gun violence um, episode. And it completely shocked and turned our worlds upside down. Uh, we were very, very young at the time. I mean, I was a kid, I was like 22 years old, I think. And I suddenly was thrust into a situation that I was completely just not at all equipped to handle. Um, a death, a traumatic death is a very difficult thing for anybody to to grapple with. And I talk about this a lot lately because COVID has created so many tragic deaths around people in a way that like it was accelerated, a lot of deaths were accelerated. And, you know, having to grapple with that in addition to a violent death, um, a murder is very, very um, difficult and, and a very, um, you know, trying situation to put yourself in. And as I was coming to terms with that grief and what had happened and what we were going through and, you know, we had to go through a murder trial and, and all that comes with what happens when somebody is murdered, uh, we decided to forgive the murderer. Uh, my husband and I, you know, went to the jail and, and forgave the murderer um, in person. We are the only people that were in the situation that did to this day, um, even years later. And we decided that if we were going to find our way out of this grief, we would need to find compassion. So we started with compassion for the murderer. And then we looked at ourselves and said, okay, so if we can find compassion for, for this person, why are we not acting with compassion in every other way in our life? And so the most obvious, obvious way that you can remove yourself from pain and suffering is um, what you do three times a day. Uh, and that is quite simply how we came upon um, going vegan. It was, you know, really an act of compassion for both our, our hearts and, and, a, and a form of cathartic um, relief for us going through that situation, but also like an act of compassion for, for the world and, and the animals that live on it. So in terms of, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. And I think it's really beautiful. And the idea that you could do that level of compassion is extraordinary. I spent 40 years covering crimes and uh, I, I can count on one hand, even remotely similar experiences. Uh, but that is sort of the essence of our movement, it's about human evolution. It's about, for me to live, this animal doesn't have to die. That life is not a zero sum game and that there's a win for everybody, including the animals. So 
Do you feel the tech industry has a spirituality problem? Uh, because these are very smart people, but yet I hear, for example, one unnamed tech leader likes to do his own hunting to kill his own food because it tastes better. I don't know if that's a, uh, 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 an accurate anecdote, but you kind of go, whoa, you're that smart, but you don't get that that's really dumb on so many levels. I think that the tech industry is grappling with a lot right now. Broader industry is grappling with a lot when it comes to what do people expect from leaders? And I think if you look at, you know, Zuckerberg, who I, I'm assuming you're referencing, <laughs> and the heyday of, of Meta, you know, Facebook at the time, and what we're looking at today, there's a real shift in what people are expecting from leadership, a really big shift that's happened in these last two years. And that kind of move fast and break things and like, cool, like Silicon Valley, tech kid whiz, you know, anybody that's watching, there's like a WeWork tell-all right now. There's like a the Theranos tell-all right now. There's, you know, the, an Uber show going on right now. There's, Hollywood is doing multiple, multiple TV series right now, um, kind of popping the bubble of those post-2008 companies. And I think that it's really clear that people no longer kind of have the wool pulled over their eyes to use a non-vegan reference um, because people, they don't necessarily have that same affection of like, oh, you're so smart with your little tech gadget. Like, we're going to listen to everything you say. I think people are, are, they're starting to expect more. They're starting to expect you to be a socially impactful company. And so I think that um, perhaps the tech industry had not always had that spirit in business in general, but I, I do think it's becoming an expectation for there to be a little bit more to your purpose and mission. Also, of course, everything that happened with George Floyd last year's or, um, you know, recently as well, there's just been such a huge shift towards your company can't just be like making something that makes money it has to make the world a better place it has to include people from all walks of life in it you know you can't just create products that are made with a few hundred people in silicon valley that you then you know similar to what i said about food that you then sell to the rest of the country and the world um for them to you know be customers yet nobody from their communities are part of building it right diverse teams just quite simply make better products there's many statistics that can show that so um i, I think that we're starting to return to that impactful point in the industry i hope that we're starting to return to it. I think especially in the remote work setting, um, this is something I, I do a lot of like innovation um, conversations with, with media outlets, like what does the future of tech look like? I think that this is something that you're gonna need to really put thought into as a founder and entrepreneur of how can you stand for something more um, in a remote world where you don't have that ability to bring everybody together and like build that bonding. Like you have to really do a good job and be thoughtful if you're doing everything through Zoom. So getting to companies that say they're progressive, uh, not to pick on Starbucks, but Dotsie Bausch of Switch for Good, who was at your conference, has a campaign to get Starbucks to remove the surcharge for plant-based milks. Um, what strategically, because there's so many similar types of campaigns that target other companies uh, for other uh, practices that um, basically make it harder to be vegan. What is the best strategy to approach a company like Starbucks to get them to drop the surcharge? If it were me, 
this is just, you know, I love Dotsie. Uh, I would go to Starbucks and I would find black leaders at Starbucks. I would find probably their black employee resource group. I would find um, champions from within the organization. And that message to what you said, how it is discriminatory, that you're charging more for people to um, get the product that works for them from a health perspective. That's who I would align with. I would find internal champions at these companies that already support this and fold this into their broader policy from an internal perspective. So a lot of the work that I've done over the years, I've actually worked with women's groups um, and with plant-based groups and, you know, with um, black employee groups specifically at these companies and they have then brought it to the leadership. So rather than an external force um, going at them, I've, I've kind of uh, infiltrated from within. It's been tremendously successful. I've worked with employee resource groups at the world's biggest tech companies and food tech companies. And that's how we've been able to, you know, make a lot of moves. I, I work very closely with the internal teams at Impossible Foods, for instance. You know, this is a company that historically, you know, was not hugely involved in the vegan space. Yet they're one of the biggest supporters and champions of Vegan Women's Summit. And that's because I started working on the ground with the employees to start pushing through um, the internal change. So in terms of what's next, what is the future of food? Uh, we keep talking about the tipping point. Now, some people said when a lot of these big companies started going public, uh, Beyond Meat and Oatly, that was a tipping point. Um, others have cited other examples of the uh, Met Gala going vegan, that that was a tipping point. But is it one tipping point or is it many tipping points? Where are we? Because um, there are um, scientists who say we have less than a decade to essentially transition to a global plant-based economy, or we literally could be racing toward extinction. I am going to use this because, Jane, you've given me the platform. So I imagine I'm speaking to a largely vegan audience, I would guess, right? A lot of the majority yeah. of folks probably are plant-based already. Okay. I need each of you to become champions for innovation and science. And this is a this is part of what my book talks about. We need to thread together um, the conversation of what's going on in the food tech space and in the plant-based space much better. Um, if we have 10 years left, we need to be using all types of technology to to work on this. And that includes, quote unquote, you know, you might know it as lab-grown meat, but, you know, cell cultivated, whatever these, you know, future food products are using AI and machine learning. Um, I have, you know, I've tasted cultivated products myself. I'm, you know, fully vegan. I don't plan to eat them, but I, do, I have seen that we have made huge, huge leaps forward with these products. We need to start championing these types of proteins as well. And we need to understand that just because we are eating plant-based products ourselves as vegans, the other 99% of people, they're not necessarily going to adopt and get rid of eating meat because they like their Beyond Burgers. Um, a lot of them are going to be looking for real meat. Uh, the majority of consumers do not agree with factory farming. The vast majority of consumers oppose factory farming, yet keep buying factory farm products because their taste and like of meat is more is ranked higher in their head than their ethics. Right. So what can we do to align those ethics with that taste preference? That's the um, solution right there. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. I think it needs a better name. I like clean meat, but I agree with you 100%. In fact, when I heard that when clean meat, lab meat, whatever you want to call it, is starting, when it starts to be produced at scale 
It is going to be just slightly more expensive than sugar water. It's going to be cheaper than even the heavily subsidized meat and dairy industry. I thought, hallelujah, we have arrived at the solution. Uh, Because as Gene Bauer of Farm Sanctuary says, whatever reduces suffering the most. So we can't afford to be so um, supercilious and so pure that we're gonna throw out the biggest solution to this problem. I agree with you 100%. And by the way, while we have a mostly vegan audience now, Unchained TV's entire mission is to reach a non-vegan audience through our streaming network where we're going to show this uh, in an edited form and aim toward people who are simply looking for free content. So we do aim to get out of the vegan bubble. I don't like to just talk to vegans. Uh, <laughs> I've gone to events where we're looking at a film with a lot of disturbing video. And I see that everybody here is already vegan. It's like, what's the point? I don't need to be traumatized again. Yes. I so- totally, totally, totally agree with you. <laughs> So, yes. So uh, we only have a few more minutes. What's next for Vegan Women's Summit? I can't wait for next year. This was so much fun. That's the thing. I think you also highlighted that our movement is fun. There were so many incredible products. There were so many fascinating women who were so high powered. Uh, and it was in such a great ambiance of um, music and food trucks and uh, product samples. Wow, it was it was right up there with the uh, Expo West. Not quite as big. Nothing is as big as Expo West, but it it had that feeling of high energy and excitement. So, what can we expect for the Vegan Women Summit down the road? Vegan Women Summit. Uh, so we're a global media um, platform. So we we produce, of course, the flagship summit, the Vegan Women Summit. We also produce um, our pitch competition. So um, stay tuned if you're a founder uh, that wants to pitch um, with us at VWS Pathfinder. We're going to be hosting that again in the fall. We've had over a thousand women founders apply from 31 countries since launching. We, of course, will be bringing back the big in-person flagship summit in 2023. Um, stay tuned. We are moving out of Los Angeles. So it's a secret um, surprise where we're going to be going next, but it will be even bigger. Uh, I, of course, am going on my book tour. I'm leaving in about a week or so. Um, So we'll be hitting up Boulder on April 19th. Then we're in Austin on April 20th. We're doing Earth Day in Miami on April 22nd. Then I'm over in Atlanta um, with the amazing president of Mercy for Animals, Leah Garces, um, on April 25th. April 26th, I'm in Raleigh-Durham with some of the top future of food leaders, women CEOs, including um, the CEO of Biomilk. So if anybody's in the triangle and you're really interested in this fascinating new um, way that we are using technology to create food, um, please come out there. And then I think my last one is Philly, um, April 27th with Nicole Marquise, the CEO of Hip City Veg. Um, So that's our first circuit. And then I will be headlining Planted, um, the Canada's largest plant-based conference in June. And I think I just booked probably like five or six other conferences around the world. I think I've got Korea, Switzerland, all kinds of places. Wow, I am just in shock. I mean, in happy shock of all you're accomplishing. Let me ask you, we have four minutes. Is the um, tech world, because you're in tech, you've worked for some of these top companies, are they starting to warm up to the idea of 
veganism, or maybe it's plant-based, or maybe it's alternative protein, because I'm not looking at government for solutions. Government has been co-opted by the meat and dairy industry. The head of the USDA is a dairy trade group leader. So the United Nations has also formed partnerships with the meat secretariat. Um, We have to really look at, I think, companies and these tech companies Information, I just saw a documentary, it says information has surpassed oil as the most valuable commodity in the world. These are the companies that if they decided, boom, we're going to advocate for veganism to save our planet, they could do more probably in 24 hours than you know um, a million people protesting on the streets. I think that we are starting to see more and more companies, both tech and non-tech, caring about sustainability. Most major companies have sustainability, even like executives at this point, you know, Google, Facebook, all of them, they take it um, to heart, but they don't always have plant-based on the menu when it comes to what sustainability means for their company. So there is a tremendous amount of resources and funding that's available for this space, but how do we make sure that they're getting the education around what we're eating? I would not, I, I, I Jane, you would not believe how many um, companies measure their food footprint based on how far it traveled. And they just like buy local meat from the Bay area. And that they think is like a more sustainable way to feed their, their employees. That's actually the way that, I mean, the city of San Francisco, to put it rudimentary, that's how they calculate their food sustainability as well. Um, We need to be pushing on city leaders. I know that, I I agree with you, we can't really trust the federal government to fix this. I know that we're almost done, but if you um, are, if you are a like voter in a city, go to your city council and ask for them to put plant-based options and policies in. It is so much easier to get a hold of a city councilor, they might even be your neighbor, than it is to get a hold of your congressman or your senators start small because that's how we've been able to push a lot of the change that's happened in california and new york and of course another one of my heroes eric adams the exactly plant-based i can't call him a vegan but the plant-based mayor of new york city putting in um meatless fridays vegan fridays in the schools he has truly been a game changer um last question Media. Media is advertiser based. Most of the advertising is meat, dairy and pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceutical industry has the largest number of lobbyists on Capitol Hill. Uh, That's one of the reasons that I used my media experience to try to do an end run around the mainstream media uh, to put up a, a streaming network that is going to reach people. They're not getting the information. What is your answer to that dilemma? Interesting. I think that we we're going to see a big change when I think when it comes to media and press for the plant based space, because they um, a lot of these companies we're now seeing like Oatly's big Super Bowl ad. We're now seeing a ton of plant based companies dropping mega bucks in this space. And I think that at the end of the day, um, media doesn't really care about who's writing the check. They care about the size of the check. And in these next like 18 months or so, you're going to see a lot, a lot of companies start to spend a lot of money on very big campaigns in a way that you have not seen in the vegan space before, like big, big activations coming. So we have one minute. When are we going to see a plant-based world? 
Jane, I don't think we'll ever see a plant-based world. I think we can see a world that um, eradicates needless slaughter. I think that that's the reality. I think that we're going to see if we can, because a plant-based world um, would mean that we don't have these cell-based and lab-grown technologies. I think we need those as part of the solution. We don't need to kill animals for food anymore. Wow. This has been such an incredible conversation. Again, everybody get this book. It is readable uh, and it is really just you can't put it down because the stories are extraordinary and it provides solutions. And so I urge everybody who's already vegan, get hip to this because strategy is important. Intentions are great, but strategy is the most important thing. And be part of the Vegan Women's Summit. Men are also allowed to come, right? Yeah, we're like 10% men. (laughs) So if you're- We had a lot of men. Yeah, there were a lot of men there. I didn't know if they had snuck in or not. Uh, But the the Vegan Women's Summit, it's going to be happening in 2023. We don't know where yet. And Jennifer, thank you. I know you're a very busy person. Thank you for spending this hour with us. See you next time on Voice America Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.